Hello and welcome to May I Have This Dance, a podcast from the Human Awareness Institute, or HI, among friends. We're here because we love having real, rich, juicy conversations with people. We strip down with the people we interview, figuratively and only sometimes literally, to the undercurrent of what it means to be human through the lens of love, intimacy, and sexuality. As an organization, HI is a place to explore and embrace our humanness. Obviously, a podcast can't replace our workshops, but we do hope that in these interviews you are able to catch a glimpse of who we are and what we do. Shall I get started with the interview? Let's do it! Okay, so welcome to this beautiful Blurgs Day in whatever the hell month it is in 2020, <laughs> because time has stopped meaning anything at this point, and uh, we're still quarantined. But I am very excited about our guests uh, today. She keeps bringing me joy and has done for years now with her podcast, with the live events she puts on. And the way I always introduce this guest is she's the thinnest possible edge of the wedge for people who are curious about sex positivity. Mm. She is the most wonderful person, super uh, unscary but she is this beautiful, beautiful human who is wonderful at introducing people to the concept of sex positivity. And on that note, uh, dear guest, uh, who are you and what pronouns do you use? My pronouns are she, her, and my name is Dixie Delator. I call myself a sexual folklorist because I'm not a sex educator. I am someone who uses stories to educate people about all of the possibilities you might have in sex, kink, or gender. That is so awesome. And uh, you run a podcast, is that correct? I do. I run the Body Storytelling Podcast, and it is also now a live stream. So you can join us live and listen to stories and watch people's faces while they tell stories, which is my favorite part. I have been to some of those, and it is so much fun to... It's actually really interesting. When, when you go to these events in real life, you know, there's all these like little games you can use to to meet people and you know it's a very kind of interactive experience and translating that into an online space has been a, has been quite a challenge for you hasn't it it really has people keep saying i want all the things from the live show and i'm like we're working on it you know yeah. quarantine only just happened we're trying to figure out how to make everything more interactive for people while they're sequestered in their home yeah absolutely so tell me how how the hell did you end up doing this dixie that feels like a really interesting uh universe to end up in <laughs> well i've been doing body storytelling which is the original sex and storytelling series i love to say that because playgirl said that and i'm like ah, playgirl's <laughs> the original that feels good because there are a lot of people who you know use storytelling throughout the years it feels good to be called the original anything um so I grew up in the South. I grew up in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, spent my summers in West Virginia, was surrounded by people who we didn't really get any TV. We would occasionally get hee-haw, but <laughs> that was pretty much it. So there was a lot of sitting around listening to stories. When we go to West Virginia, they'd put a pig in the ground, they'd do a pig roast, and it takes three days to cook a pig when you put it in the ground. So they'd sit around and play banjo and dobro and mandolin and swap instruments. I'm tired of playing the banjo, now I want to play the, the mandolin. And they'd tell stories while they did it. And while the other kids were out running around or playing in the creek, I was usually sitting there listening to the stories. And I just kind of liked how people made themselves unique from each other. 
Like hearing a story really makes you get somebody. Whereas before they were all a blur in your mind, like Jimmy Bob and Bobby Jimmy, same people to me. But then you hear their stories and you're like, oh, now I know who they are. I know what they care about. I know what they feel. So I grew up listening to stories. Uh, I left, I moved to Atlanta and eventually moved to San Francisco, fell down the well of the sex positive scene. Wasn't called that at the time. It was in San Francisco, surely not. (laughs) It was, well, I kind of wanted to, you know how, when it used to be really, really underground, when the sex and kink world was completely underground and nobody knew how to find it. When you got an invite to a party, suddenly you'd been invited, you'd, you'd gone through the looking glass. And when I was invited through the looking glass, I was like, there's this whole world I never knew existed. And I used it as a way to explore who I was. I first went in through the leather community. And then I ended up in the swinger community. And then I ended up in, you know, a different part of the kink community. Then I discovered costumed polyamory. (laughs) (laughs) Those people kind of became my family, but I never felt like any one part of all of these communities was like, none of them felt like me, but I loved. So, so I don't want to interrupt you too much, but Mm -hmm. costume polyamory, it feels like (laughs) I need to hear more about what that is. (laughs) Well, you've been to sex parties, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. So if you've ever been to a sex party, there's always that awkward moment (laughs) where somebody is looking at you and they're thinking, Hmm, I'd really like to get busy with that, but it's such an awkward it feels like a transaction often and so somebody would walk up and you know like my boobs or something and it's just kind of like I'm not a piece of meat I have a brain I have a personality when I discovered costumed polyamory which would be the kinky salon community and the other communities each month they would have a theme and in that theme you would dress up and you'd create your costume so it would show your creativity and you would um show up like for dungeons and drag queens <laughs> dress like a big old flamboyant drag queen covered in sequins and somebody walk up and go did you bugle beat that yourself and you totally just have this moment where you kind of meet each other care what each other you know find out what each other care about and so you're saying you're basically shifting the conversation from 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 hot sex to hot glue and from there you just <laughs> go with it <laughs> It was, it's a great opportunity to feel unique, to feel like, you know, and then they go, hmm, why don't we take that Beagle number off and, and go, go, go to town with each other. And you go, I feel like you appreciate me. You really appreciated my hot glue skills. <laughs> uh, we've all been there, to be honest. Yes, right. And I just felt like they, they were creative in the way that I felt like I was creative. So that's kind of where I landed. But Throughout my journey, throughout all of the different communities I had traveled in, when I fell through the looking glass, I met a lot of people and I heard a lot of stories. And uh, one of my friends, who was a somebody that I knew from Burning Man, had invited me to hear him tell a story at a storytelling event out in the avenues of San Francisco. And I was like, oh, God, I want to be a good friend, but storytelling, is that going to be somebody dressed up like Pocahontas? Am I going to be irritated Is this just going to be awful? I just imagined that person who tells stories to kids in the library, you know, and I thought it was going to be terrible, but I said, I'm going to go support my friend. And people sat there and told stories about Burning Man and they headed off in every different direction. 
they headed off like this person talked about the art that person talked about the drug that person talked about the sex they went everywhere and i went storytelling is amazing but perverts could kick this shit up and down the street because <laughs> we have amazing stories but we don't have any place to tell our stories and i would get so lit up with my own stories which were of course filthy because i went to a lot of sex parties <laughs> i would go outside and the person coming out of the bodega next door who had stopped to get some cream on the way home did not have a child with them because in the cafe that we were holding it at, there were children running around. I would say, hey, when I hear a story, I tell him a filthy story. He'd look at me like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and the guy who produced the storytelling event, his name was Ray. Ray would come out and go, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just so lit up with stories. I have to tell them. And he's like, tell them in there. That's what it's for. And I'm like, there are children in there. I cannot tell my stories in there. And he's like, well, um, you know, you could just tell the story. And then when you come to the sex part, you could go and then we did it. And I'm like, my whole story is the sex part. It's not going to work. So I just went every single month, sat there so frustrated. And eventually after like six months, he said, okay, you have to do this thing. You know every pervert in the world. Let's create your own storytelling show. And I said, oh, my God, it never occurred to me. I have a fear of, I have a fear of public speaking. Like, <laughs> I had never really had an opportunity. I was a volunteer wrangler. I was behind the scenes. But when it came to standing up and talking about my own life, like that personal and intimate and vulnerable, I was really shy about doing it. And he said, okay, I'm going to emcee the first one but you have to tell the first story. I taught myself how to tell a story in a way that made me not afraid that I was going to get up there and, you know, totally lose my thread or forget what it was about or get distracted. I created a method so that I could do it. And after I did it the first time, just like everything in life, I was like, that's, I could do that. I did it. I didn't die. And so I started doing it all the time. Originally it was a potluck people would just come along and go, I got one. I'd give them a theme. And um, as it grew and grew, hang on a minute. I've got a burp. <laughs> I knew you could edit that out. <laughs> no, no, no. We're keeping that in. That is beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, it. people keep, kept saying, they would tell their friends about it. And they would go, there's this thing where they tell these stories you can't hear anywhere else the stories are really good and people would come up to me and they go you're the one who does body storytelling right and I'm like yeah and they go can I go and I'm like you're not dirty why would you want to go and they go yeah I just I just really would like to hear the stories I hear they're great I'm like sure you can come and then they go you're not gonna make me tell a story though are you because it had been one of those get up and tell ones and uh, I said no I have a fear of public speaking I'd never do that to you and um, they didn't quite believe me. I'd noticed they'd asked me all month about it. But when the night of came, they wouldn't show up. So eventually I started curating it. And I'd say, look at the lineup. Is your name on it? No, it's not. You don't have to tell a story. Just show up and listen. And that's when it really started blowing up. Thank you for detailing that with such vivid description. I feel like I went through that whole process with you, listening to you. And I, my first question is about... So you're talking about sex, right? And you're talking about anything body um, in these storytelling. That's what's invited in these spaces. Mm -hmm. And you said, you know, I had this fear of public speaking and, and I'm envisioning you, envisioning you and anyone else getting up and, and, 
you know, pulling a thread and having a narrative. And, and there's an element of that that seems to me like uh, it would be important to have comfort in acting or in a certain um, ability around presenting your story to, to capture the audience's attention, right? And so my question is, where's the tension for you around performance versus like intimate revealing of oneself? We definitely lean more toward the vulnerability uh-huh. and the intimacy of this story. I have a particular penchant, and that is taking people who have never been on stage and putting them on stage in front of hundreds of people. That's my kink. I really get off on it because I've watched people for 13 years have their life changed by getting up, getting real. I coach them. So they're going to do a great job. I make them comfortable. I ask lots of questions. They say, nobody cares about that. I'm like, everybody cares about that. Everybody can relate to that moment in the story, put it in the story. And then they're terrified. And I'm like, terror is like the most fun thing to watch. But I sit next to them on the stage. I'm their touchstone. If they get scared, they can look at me. I'm going to make the right face. I have a really good active listening face. And um, I tell people the goal at body is perverts at a party. If you've ever been to a party where there's this fascinating person who is surrounded by people and the stories are so good, there's such a natural raconteur that everybody kind of wants to eavesdrop. We don't have to eavesdrop. They're telling you except I help them polish it and make it feel supernatural and super, you know, like the unedited version that you would tell to your closest friends. That's what I do with my coaching. So you coach every single person that wants to come forward and tell stories in a given event? Ideally, unless they're a super experienced storyteller. I work with everyone. I just got through doing two story coaching sessions right before this. One is someone who's performed on my stage a number of times. But often when we have a story that is something you tell your closest friends, your friends always interrupt you and go, oh, wait, was this Sam? Is that who this? This is like, okay, (laughs) I'm not going to interrupt you. I want to hear the whole thing beginning, middle, and end without any interruptions. And I help you tell the story in a way that makes it so that the characters come to life. Maybe your best friend knows who you're talking about, but the audience doesn't. When most people tell a story, especially a story that's about sex and kink, they're drawing the pictures in their head, but they're not telling us what they look like. Well, and the amazing thing is I've, I've seen this from the other side, Dixie. I've, I've spoken to people who you've coached before and they, they always find it to be a very, very painful process. I'm sure you know that, <laughs> but the outcome on the other side is just so powerful. You know, the, the, the quality of the stories that comes out the other side is just so much better because they've had somebody to give them a bit of feedback to, to kind of live that uh, experience with them and give them the right nudges. And I just think that is such a valuable thing you do. And I don't think people listening to the show or the podcast even know, you know, you tell them, yeah, I, I do a bit of coaching, but they don't know how deep you go and how much feedback you give, which is, and it shows too, because you just keep on racking up awards. Didn't you win something this week? I did. <laughs> what did you win? I got a best podcast. Uh, I guess it's an award. I got best podcast from Oprah magazine. What? Best sex podcast. And it's Oprah so has awesome. never covered sex or erotic podcasts. So yeah, I was just going to ask about that. That's interesting. I had to look it up because I'm like, wait, Oprah did something with sex. <laughs> That's not anything I'm aware of. And I, and I'm a big fan of Oprah and I know pretty much who covers anything in sexuality and 
they've never covered it before. And I was like, I got the first year. I'm I'm just you want to you want to know a secret? <laughs> I do. I mean, when you get an award online, it's an award online. They don't send you a certificate. You don't really get anything. It's just like you get to say you did it. But I have a friend who's an illustrator and I said, "Okay, this one's a big deal for me." So, I want you to do an illustration of me and Oprah, and I'm going to make my own certificate and I'm going to hang it on my wall. <laughs> that is enterprising AF. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Just me and Oprah hanging out, talking about dirty stuff like you do. Oh, man. I would pay to watch that. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? I want to be her next guru. That's what I want. Like, she gave Dr. Phil and she gave Dr. All those people. She really needs to get in. It's 2020, Oprah. She needs Dixie. Yeah. It's time to make me one of your your experts so that I can talk to people about, you know, I mean – I know Oprah's story. I've I've read her story throughout the years, and I know about her early years and the things that happened to her around sexuality. She really needs to cover this territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, it turns out uh, sex is something people care about. Yeah, it shapes Shocking. who we are. Our our most revealing, our most defining moments are sexual, but we're told we're not allowed to talk about it. So, Dixie, um, we have a limited amount of time on this podcast with you, which I'm already regretting. Uh, listening to you talk so much about stories, my my inner being is like, I want to hear a story. Let's do this. So if you're willing. I'm going to tell you one people ask me for a lot. <clears throat> and it relates to body storytelling. Um, in the early days of body, it always started with me telling my own stories. I was the one who always kicked it off. I always had a fresh adventure off Craigslist where I would write a weird ad and have a sexual experience because for me, it wasn't about the tryst. It wasn't about the orgasm. For me, it was about the story. So I'd often create these ads on Craigslist and somebody would respond and we'd make this adventure together. And that would be the story that I would tell that month at Body to kick things off a story makes everybody else remember their stories. And so other people would go, oh, wait, I have one. They tell us. So I set the theme and I mail it out to my email list. And I always go, okay, here you go. Here comes the theme for this month. The theme is sex parties. And people go, yeah, great. I've got a story. Okay. The theme this month is um, exhibitionism. And they go, great. I've got a story for that. So I'm getting ready to send the email out for the month. And I go, the theme for this month is the worst sex ever. (laughs) And I send it out. People are like, oh, God, I got a great one for that. And as we get closer to the night of the show, I realize I don't really have a good worst, worst sex ever story. I'm like, you know, I've got some near misses. I've got the guy who had five roommates. I went over to fuck him. And as I walked out, his all his roommates high-fived him on the way to walk me to the door, which felt kind of rude. <laughs> <laughs> I had so many stories like that, but none of them that felt like the worst sex ever. So my boss, Sister Mabel Syrup of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, I was telling her tomorrow night's body and I don't really have a worst sex ever story. And she goes, Dixie, do what you always do. Just get on Craigslist and put an ad for it. And I'm like, that's a great idea. So he put up an ad and it is entitled The Worst Sex Ever. Want to help? <laughs> I have to tell the story within 24 hours of the worst sex I've ever had. And I'm coming up blank. I need your help desperately. Please respond. <laughs> I hit send and I watch my email start to fill with hundreds of replies. 
people oh are God. responding to this. And I'm just like, it's good marketing. <laughs> wow. How do I pick the worst sex? I've never been out looking for the worst sex. How am I going to choose somebody to have this adventure with? So I just decide to spin my finger and close my eyes and land on an email name. And I open it up and the email says, hi, my name is Marco. I was really intrigued by your ad. They're always intrigued if you're offering sex. <laughs> um, here's a picture. I've attached my phone number. I look forward to hearing from you. I noticed that the attachment is entitled Hung JPEG. <laughs> well, at least it wasn't a gift. I guess that was a start. <laughs> I click on it and I open it. And what do you think that picture was of? A suit hanging on the back of a door. <laughs> so close. It was a picture of someone's stomach, their hairy stomach. And laying on top of it was their dick. Kind of half chub, kind of excited. I wouldn't have entitled it <laughs> hung JPEG, but okay. <laughs> and I sit there and go, huh, I'm looking for the story. I can't find it. And I'm like, wait a minute this guy just sent me a picture of his dick. Like he, like that is, has all the makings of the worst sex I'm ever going to have. Like this is my dude. <laughs> so I reply and I go, congratulations. You are the grand prize winner. I'm coming over to create a story. Send me your address and we'll get on the bus. He gives me his address. He's out on Geary around 15th Avenue. And I get on the bus I get there and I've also said, as I'm walking out the door of my office, I'm like, so I've never met you. You might be a serial killer. I'm going to need you to meet me at the bus stop so I can meet you on the street. I'm not going to go directly into your house. Mm, smart. <laughs> bus gets off, stops around 15th Avenue. I get out. There's a guy standing there in front of like the art supply store on the corner. He's leaning up against the wall and I walk up to him. I have not seen a picture of his face. <laughs> he hasn't I seen know it was him <laughs> I walk up to him I'm sizing him up he's sizing me up and I look at him and I go you don't look like a serial killer let's go and so we start walking <laughs> to his apartment which is farther up the block and as we're walking up the block he tells me his name's Marco which I knew from the email he tells me he's a car salesman out at Saramonte then he lives by himself in this old Victorian here on the block, lives by himself in his little studio. And then suddenly we're at his front door. It is a tall Victorian building. He puts the key in the front door. He walks across the lobby. I'm following him. And then he starts to walk up a flight of stairs. And I follow him up one flight of stairs. He turns the corner, starts walking up the next flight of stairs. I'm huffing because I'm not in great shape. And I'm like... You don't have an elevator in the building? <laughs> and he says, no, it's Victorian. We don't have an elevator. And I'm like, what floor you live on? He's like, the fifth floor. And I'm like, holy shit. Um, you must be in pretty good shape then, huh? And he goes, yeah, I was an athlete in high school. I'm like, well, I was not. So you might want to go ahead and I'll catch you eventually. He, he gets up to his floor. I very slowly stop and go to each floor, stop pause, huff, go up another flight. And when I get to the fifth floor, I'm looking around trying to figure out which one is his apartment. It's a big building. And from down the hall, I see a door open and I can hear 
thumpy music playing. I know it must be his place. And I walk up. I stand in the front door. It's a studio, as he said. And in it is a bookcase, a futon, the kind that makes out into a bed. Yes, it has conveniently been made into a bed already. (laughs) And a TV set, which is playing Speed Racer the movie. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard Speed Racer the movie, but the soundtrack is like, oh, ah, oh, oh, yeah. And I was like, well, that's an interesting choice. (laughs) It's pretty loud. And then I'm like, well, you know, maybe he's being polite. It might have been off-putting. He doesn't know me. He could have put porn on, which would have been kind of like jumping to the next level. But he wanted to kind of get there, but gently. So he put on Speed Racer the movie. It makes sense to me. It's kind of sexy. So I walk in the room. There's hardly anything in it. Door to the bathroom, bookcase, TV, futon. And I sit on the edge of the futon and put my purse down and I'm just looking around because I'm not sure how to start the worst sex I've ever had in my life. And he's looking at me and eventually he goes, do you want to see it? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot why I was here. And there are two voices in my head. There is one that wants to go, oh, please get over yourself. And the other one needs a story in less than 24 hours. And that's the voice that said, yeah. So he stands up in the middle of this small little studio apartment. He hikes down his pants to around his knees, which is a real good <laughs> He moves his shirt out of the way. And he gives a Vanna White flourish to his cock. It's kind of a half job. It's kind of, hmm. And I'm like, yep, that'll work. Let's go. And... <laughs> I reach into my purse. I grab a packet of lube, grab a condom, hand him one. Uh, He puts the condom on. I hand him the lube. He covers the condom in lube. And I get on this rickety frame of this futon with my face almost pressed up against the glass out the apartment. (laughs) And I'm like, come on, let's go. (laughs) So he gets behind me, which of course makes the futon move a little bit more. And he comes up behind me and He starts to press his cock against me to start to slide it in. And he slides it in about a sixteenth of an inch. And then it stops. And he goes, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. He goes, okay. He gives it about another sixteenth of an inch inside me. Are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm fine. He keeps doing it. And I'm like, I don't know who told this guy that his dick was the biggest monster that ever existed, but he bought that shit hook, line, and sinker. Because he just keeps stopping to ask me if I'm okay. (laughs) And it's going to take forever. I'm going to be here still having sex with him when I'm supposed to be on stage telling this story (laughs) at the rate we're going. So at a certain point, he pulls out... (laughs) he pulls out a little bit he goes to put it in and I'm just like okay this is ridiculous this is just taking too long (laughs) (laughs) you're like come on I want to be done with the worst sex of my life already (laughs) he stops he does it a little bit he does it a little bit and at some point on the backstroke as he pulls out it starts to kind of slide into my ass just a little bit And he stops and he goes, oh, my God, are you okay? Because now his monster dick's in my ass. And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I'm fine. Um, but, you know, you're not supposed to go back and forth between the two holes. So you probably just want to stay back there. And he's like, what? Like, nobody's <laughs> ever taken this monster in their butt. And he's just like, are you kidding me? And he's now, he's taking even shorter, tinier. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And then finally, I just can't take it anymore. And I wear all the way back and I go, bam! And I slam it in all the way to the hilt. And behind me, I hear a high-pitched scream. And he falls on top of my back. And I'm like, did he come? Is that what happened? I can't really tell. He's just, the futon is rickety. I'm supporting both our weight now with my face almost pressed up against the glass, waiting to see what's going to happen. And I can't tell. And eventually, he pulls out of me. He gets up, and before I can turn around, he slips into the bathroom behind me, and he closes the door. And Speed Racer is thumping right next to me, and I'm sitting there leaking lube onto his futon going, I wonder if we're done. I mean, how do you know when the worst sex you ever had is over? (laughs) So I sit there, mostly naked leaking lube I hear the shower go on in the bathroom and I hear him take a shower and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to get dressed and leave or not so I just wait and it takes like 20 minutes for him to come out of the bathroom and open the door and he's leaning in the door frame he's looking at me I'm sitting there with no pants on and I go are we done or is there going to be a round two (laughs) and he goes yeah about that When you did that thing where you reared back on me like that, I pulled a hamstring. And I am in excruciating pain right now. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. Well, I guess you won't be walking me down them five flight of stairs now, will you? (laughs) So I put my pants back on. I grabbed my purse. I gave him one of those porn handshakes they give you in in the gay porn where they're like, thanks, transaction fulfilled. And as I walk down that flight of stairs out the front of Marco's building, it occurs to me, I never really did stipulate who the worst sex was going to be for, did I? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. I am delighted. That was uh, quite the experience to go along with you on. Wow. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And how did your audience receive it the next day? (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the early days, I used to do such stupid shit like that, like placing ads for bad sex on the internet. Nobody ever wanted to follow me. I had to get the ball rolling because nobody wants to be the first storyteller, but they'd always look at me like, well, now I don't want to tell one because mine's not that (laughs) weird. See, see, that is my fear. I, I feel like I have stories, but whenever I see people on stage, I'm like, no, no, no. I need to do some living before I have some stories to tell. (laughs) Yeah. So that's not really true. I just was talking to somebody who I, in my next live stream next week, I have a storyteller who's written uh, this book on kink underground, the pro dom scene. And they're like, so I've watched your YouTube and I don't have a lot of crazy gangbang stories. And I'm like, look, I will tell you the truth. Those are the people who are more likely to get on stage. They want to tell their story. Stories 
I get really excited about are people who've never done it before mm. because I've watched them walk off the stage and suddenly they became a celebrity. Suddenly the whole crowd has a point of reference for them and they have hundreds of people coming up to them going, oh my God, you were so good. Or the next month they're like, you're the one who told that story about. And they become little mini rock stars. Oh, it changes awesome. their lives. That's what I care about. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have many good stories. Just most of them don't involve my boy bits. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Dixie, I, you mentioned that the storytellers' lives are changed. And I want to know, you've done this for so long now. How has this affected your life? What, what, what are you getting out of this? What do I get out of it? Um, I don't know. It kind of feels like I'm sort of a, I don't know. If I was going to be a hippie, I'd say a doula. You know, I feel like I'm helping. It's, I guess I'm too lazy to go to school to be a therapist. Story doula. <laughs> it's kind of like being a therapist. I, I tell people this story is yours. You get to decide what's in it and what's not. But I ask questions to make them pull out the details because I tell storytellers the goal is we all want the escapism that we have from the movies. We want to be someone else for a little while. And with a story, a well-told story, then you get to be, for example, Kate for 10 minutes. Kate gets on stage, tells the story, tells it well, makes the characters come to, come to life, has tension in it because Kate is talking about what they dream of, what they're afraid of. If you put all those elements in a story, then the audience gets to be Kate for 10 minutes. Kate gets to be understood in a way they've never been understood before. And they get to have all these people who understand them better. And suddenly Kate's invited to parties <laughs> and invited to, oh, you like to write? Come join our writing group. Like your world opens up. I have to tell you, I'm super obsessed with social connection. It's always been, it's what the games are about at Body. There's no storytelling show that does the stupid things I do. <laughs> but it's a way to get people to get out of their head and to connect and not go, well, what do you do for work? Nobody gives a shit what you do for work. True what they care story. about is what you care about, you know, yeah. what what drives you, who you really are underneath. And I want to get them to that place. Well, and there's this wonderful there's this wonderful game that's being played at the body storing event, uh, storytelling events called uh, Bango, which is like bingo, but it's rude. So you go around and you ask people, hey, have you done X? Where I want to do a couple of examples in just a moment, but especially for people who are new to this universe, you know, inviting somebody along to a sex party is a pretty tall order, but inviting somebody along to a storytelling event and then saying, hey, let's play this game. And suddenly, like within a moment, you are walking around a room asking strangers, you know, if they have a FetLife account or if they have been in a threesome or if they have done any number of other interesting things. And oh boy, does that break the ice. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> it is so wonderful. Can I tell you how I came up with Bango? Please do. Um, so I was invited to a group to join an email list back in the 2000s. I don't know, something like that. And, um, I had been told this group of the hundred core volunteers of Burning Man had these crazy stories. They did drugs. They had sex. They were like, this was a world that I'd never had part of. And when I was invited to join, I was so excited. And when I got there, I went on a camping trip up to Northern California with like 200 people. And somehow I had arrived too late. 
I arrived on time for the weekend, but it's like everybody was starting to calm down a little bit. They weren't doing the crazy drugs. They weren't having orgies. And I was like, I felt like I was cheated. So to entertain myself sitting in front of a fire on Friday night, I uh, just drew out a bingo card. And I said, I'm going to make up ridiculous things and see if I can achieve them. This weekend. <laughs> I'm like, if I can get Larry and Ruth and Candace to have a threesome together, I can fill in that one. The center square <laughs> said somebody wearing a, a cowboy hat because it's Burning Man. Everybody's wearing a cowboy hat. That was a free spot. And of course it didn't happen. I couldn't make those things happen. I'm like, I just want to tell you that if the three of you have a threesome like this, then I get to fill in this spot. And they're like, well, that's not going to happen. Could you do me a favor, please? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a firm believer that things happen if you, in, if you tell people, you know, I'm encouraging you. You don't have to do anything, but should you want to, I am encouraging you to behave that way. So I just went around to all my new friends and said, hi, you don't know me, but I've made this up. <laughs> if you want, you can do it. And so it failed spectacular, spectacularly, <laughs> except for at about three o'clock in the morning on Saturday night, as people would have orgasms in their tents, they would all scream, bango. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, okay, it worked. It needs some tweaking, but it worked. And then I was looking for a way to make this show more interactive 10 years ago. And um, I had this one man. His name was Martin. And Martin used to communicate with me between shows to tell me my website was not working right. Or he was a curmudgeon. He just, just like, Dixie, I don't like this. And the ticket link isn't working. And I'm like, thanks, Martin. Thanks for letting me know. I didn't know. I'll fix it. <laughs> and the night that I introduced Bango at Body, I you know, I had somebody handing out cards and explaining how it would work. And they looked really confused. Bongos. Do I have to play bongos? No, that's not what's happening. And people started talking. People started connecting. And the next morning I got an email from Martin and Martin said, so last night I walked in and a beautiful person walked up to me and handed me this card. And Martin is like, I will tell you the truth. My only connection with the show tends to be you when I swap an email with you before the show, but I sneak in, I sit in a chair, I listen to stories, I sneak out and I don't talk to a single person. And last night somebody walked in and they handed me a card and I looked at it and went, there's nine squares. I have to talk to nine people. I never in my life talked to nine people. And some other pile of people nearby saw the card in my hand and went, hey, if you fill out this one, I could fill out that one on yours. And suddenly my card is full. And I turned it in to see if I, to see if I could win a prize. Mm. And I walked out like feeling so brave and so mm. different because I had just made nine new friends, people that I'd never talked to. And he said, it's not a storytelling show anymore, Dixie. Mm. I just want you to know that. He's like, this is something completely different now. And I'm like, well, if curmudgeonly Martin thinks it's a good thing, <laughs> then it stays in the show. Dixie, I am so enjoying listening to you. You have uh, such a way of bringing people right into the moment with you. I imagine that's part of what makes you such a good storyteller. Uh, and I have a dual degree in psychology and English. And so I, I resonate on the storytelling, but something I'm noticing as you speak is that you also have this really unique approach where you don't just tell stories, but you make stories happen. And you take an approach to life where 
if you don't have the right story for bad sex, you go and find it. And I, you know, or if you want connection with people at a party where it's not happening, you, you create it. So I'm just, I'm wondering if you see that same quality in yourself and, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm interested in where that came from in you, you know, the desire to create your own story rather than just to tell it. Oh, you're good at your job, aren't you? <laughs> I will tell you the truth, and here's where I probably cry. <laughs> I have always felt unlovable. Mm. I've always felt like I would never have love in my life. So I figured that if I couldn't have love, that I could have a really story-worthy life. That when I was 75 and I wrote a memoir, it was going to be a really good one. So I've always approached every opportunity when somebody says, do you want to do this? I'm like, fuck yeah, I've never done it. I'm going to do that. You know, for example, I used to place ads on Craigslist that would say I did one called the unknown hookup. And it said, hi, um, I want you to show up at a bar with a brown paper bag on your head with the eye holes cut out and the mouth hole cut out. And I want you to come meet me at my neighborhood bar. You will know who I am when you walk in because I will have a brown paper bag on my head. And we'll sit there and kind of see if we like each other without being able to see each other's faces. We'll have a drink. And then if we decide to, then we'll go to my house, which is about a block away, and we'll have sex with bags on our head because that's going to be hilarious. Imagine the rustling sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody would ever do that one with me, but I used to always go okay, what's the thing I've never done before? And I would just kind of put something out there. I wasn't attached to the story. I would just go, I'm going to throw this out. My favorite people who were on the net were people who would go, yeah, but have you ever done this? And I'm like, no, I haven't. Let's go do that together. And I made some of my best friends that way. People who were just like, it's not really about the sex. It's about the story. We would meet each other. Maybe we'd have sex. Maybe we wouldn't. But usually we'd go, I really like your brain. And we'd become friends. I got a lot of friends that way. Mm. (laughs) So let me see if I'm understanding this well. So I'm hearing it started from this little acorn inside of you of this fear and doubt that my life isn't going to be the way that I want it to be. I'm not going to have the connections or the life that I really want because I don't know if I am capable or deserving. And then you threw yourself into experiences as a, as a way to combat that. And I'm wondering, did it ever come back full circle where you actually did find the connections and the sense of self that you were maybe missing before you engaged out onto embarked out onto adventures to try and heal that space? Well, I do have a partner now. I did meet them on Craigslist. (laughs) (laughs) Craigslist has been a big deal for you, hasn't it? (laughs) Craigslist was fun. I really miss it. It used to be, you know, you go on a dating site and they're like, here, write something here and write this here and take this test. And that's great. But for me, that blank space, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you can write anything you want in the subject line and you can write anything you want in the body. That always made me go, I can do anything I want here, you know? I don't have to fill it out the way they want me to. I met my partner, Bent, uh, almost 11 years ago. He answered a Craigslist ad. Uh, I had had gotten a ton of responses to an ad because 
this is a shocker. When you're female identified and you say you're looking for sex on the internet, especially in a section called casual encounters, you're going to get a lot of responses. <laughs> and um, he was one of the ones that responded to an ad that said, why is it so hard to find a fuck buddy in this town? Jesus Christ. <laughs> All I want you to do is be reliable. And I have this very weird thing about hookups because I've done a lot of hookups in my day. I have this thing you have to do. And I explain people when we get together and it looks like we might be heading down the road to have sex. I'm like, here's what you need to know. If we have sex tonight, you have to either email, text, or call me within the next 24 hours. All you have to do is say, I had a nice time or I don't want to see you again, but you need to get back to me within 24 hours. Because if you wait a month, which is when most people get horny and want to recontact somebody that they hooked up with, if you wait that month, I'm going to inform you that you got a pink slip 29 days ago, but you never picked it up. Mm. You have to get back to me right away because I'm Southern and that's polite. That's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people failed that test. <laughs> but also a wonderful way to set your boundary, Dixie, just to know what you need and to ask for it. Thank you. You know how it is when people just, they're gone and you're like, we had this great connection and I don't know if they felt it too or and then they get back to you and it's a month later and you're like are you horny or did you actually like me so for me it was like this is what I need <laughs> and I had put this ad up and um, one of the people who responded wrote a real response not a copy and paste response included a picture it was a terrible picture from him like let's go walk around China Basin and have a conversation and it's November and it's freezing and he says we could go back to my house and I'm like yeah I I really kind of burn out on hooking up so I'm I don't think I want to do that I know it was a hookup bad but yeah it's gonna go there and he's like you set the boundaries like it's whatever you say nothing has to happen but it's fucking freezing out here <laughs> so I go back to his house and we do fool around yes he fisted me we call it our fist anniversary. <laughs> In case we so were people wondering. Have an anniversary. <laughs> you know, I figured that didn't count as hookup because he didn't put anything inside me that was like, you know, essential to sex. It was his hand. So I'm like, okay, I'll probably hear from him again if I <laughs> if I limit his behavior to just your hand. That's it, buddy. And afterwards, we're laying there. We're getting to know each other. And um, I'm asking him about his, where'd you grow up? Buffalo, Baltimore. And I'm asking him some questions and he's telling me about his family and where they are. And he starts talking about his grandmother that he grew up with who had died like 20 years before. And he starts sobbing. He starts losing his shit. Uh And I pull him into my shoulder and he's got his head on my breast and I'm like, dude, you can't do this shit on a first date. You know that, right? You need some fucking therapy. Mm. And he's like, oh. and I'm like, but it's, it was so raw and so real. Like I kind of fell for him. I was mm. like, that was not how you act on a date. That was exactly how you're not supposed to act on a date. And I just, we have never been apart pretty much since that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bent is the best. Mm-hmm. Dixie, thank you for your time and your stories and your vulnerability. And I just, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much. And we have one final question that we typically ask each of our uh, guests, which is, what is the one song you can't not dance to? 
Hmm. The one song I can't not dance to. What's the name of the song? Shake it like a Polaroid picture. <laughs> I don't know, but I know exactly what you're talking about. What is that called? <laughs> you always kind of have to dance like Snoopy when you do that. But yeah, I would say that. It's Hey, uh, by Outcast. Oh, that's right. Hey, yeah. Uh, thank you. Yes, that's it. Oh man, I I, I want to see you dance to that at some point. That sounds like a wonderful. And I'll join in as well. How's that? Deal. Let's do it. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Dixie. I really appreciate it. And as always, it's a pleasure to talk with you as well, Haya. It's wonderful to have you on the show, Dixie. Thank you so much. Thank you, Haya. Thank you, Kate. It's been a lovely hour-ish to spend with you. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Human Awareness Institute and to learn more about our workshops, please visit our website at hi.org. That's H-A-I dot org. This show was produced by my wonderful co-host, Kate Gillespie. And it was edited and co-produced by my equally delightful co-host, Haya Camps. Our introduction music is called Dance With Me, and it is performed and produced by our wonderful high workshop participant, Gypsy Jack Van Bree. It was a pleasure to have you with us. See you soon. Ciao.